Okay, we're in uh, Galatians and uh, chapter 5. Um, so far we went through, uh, according to Louis' uh, sectioning of the book of Galatians, uh, we went through the Father's plan in chapter 1 and 2, we went through the Son's family in Galatians 3 and 4, and now we're in the age of the Spirit. Dan spoke to us last week about the gospel freedom. And today, what we'd like to look at is the character, the character that the gospel should produce in individuals, but also in the church. So here we are, chapter 5, verse 13 to 15. Are you going to be changing it, guys? All right? Okay. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies. And things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. What is Christian character? I went through a whole list of definitions and I took this definition, which I got from the Seattle Christian Counseling website. It says here, character is who we are because of our relationship with Christ. It is something that can be built and learned as we follow him. Furthermore, genuine Christian character is not just about our personality or our disposition. It is a description of who we are as Christians and what we are called to be in our entirety. It encapsulates the fruit of the Spirit as outlined in Galatians 5 and involves God's continued work in us. Our character summarizes the essence of our walk with Christ, which is exhibited back to him and then to others. Thankfully, our character and our faith can grow as they are applied in our daily lives. Therefore, character is the display case of Christ and shows others our entire lives as Christians. Paul has 
wrote in chapter 4 and verse 19, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul is using here an analogy, which you can probably see a little bit better in the original, of a woman that is pregnant. And during the time that she is carrying the child, the child is growing until that day that a child is born. Paul is saying here that the Galatians, they are like children that are in the womb of the mother and that are growing for that day when the Lord Jesus shall return. When it says here, Christ is formed in you, it is not a verse that is speaking to individuals. We can take it as something that is true for us. But in the context of Galatians, it is more what Paul wants to see in the church of Christ. God called us to be like Jesus in all things. We need to grow in Christ, to become more like him, to develop his character. God helps us from the day that we turn to him until the day that Christ returns. He helps us to grow. And we grow as we apply God's will to our daily lives and our responsibilities and roles within our daily lives. Our growth in Christ, our character, is reflected by our walk in the fruit of the Spirit. What is the problem in Galatia? Something happening? Oh, you want to put it down? You're kind of hiding behind it here. Can I just tip that, this down? Sure. You, can, you want to speak to it? <laughs> Let's try. <laughs> just get this like that. All right, great. And then if you tip that, does that work? Yeah, that works. Can you see my face now? Is that better? Yes? All right. I don't know if it's better, but... Uh, Paul's desire for the Galatians is, uh, like I said, Christian character. Let me see what's the problem. What's the problem in Galatia? Why did Paul write the epistle? Well, in this chapter... In verse 15 and in verse 26 that we have read, we have an idea about what was bothering Paul. It says in 5.15, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. What do you think was the problem in Galatia? Somebody answer. Yeah, it was unity. It was unity. And so Paul wrote the epistle to the Galatians, not necessarily so that we might know how to live eternally with God, but he wrote Galatians that the people that were in Galatia, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, that they might live in unity because they were not. They were destroying one another. And Paul says, it has to stop. Why was Paul so bothered by this? As he says in the epistle, he was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. 
He was called to preach the reality of King Jesus throughout the Roman Empire to those that were not Jews. And he realized that what God was doing, he was creating communities of believers that would live in a way that God wanted, that people would see what it was like to be mature in Christ and to serve Christ and to live the realities of the kingdom that Christ had established when he died and he was raised from the dead. Here Paul talks about the Spirit, so I've entitled this, Let's Talk About the Spirit. There is something that we must understand as we get into the New Testament. The Spirit, yes, each of us has received the Spirit when we believed in the Lord Jesus and the Spirit baptized us into the, the, the family and the community of God. But most of the verses and most of the Paul's epistles are much more interested in the corporate aspect of the believers than they are in the individual aspect of believers. We, in the Western world, we've been, we've grown up, even me who am old now, we've grown up with a society that wants everything instantaneously. And we want it for me. And I believe, I believe that even within Christianity, within Christian believers, we are a lot more focused on the individual than on the collective, on the corporate. God is interested in the individual, but he's very interested in the corporate, in the body, in the church. I brought some verses here from Galatians. He says, walk by the Spirit. He doesn't say that to an individual. He says that to the body. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, again, he does not say that to an individual. He says it to the body. If we live by the Spirit, again, repeating myself so that it gets there, it is not said to an individual, it is said to a body. And let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And here again, not said to an individual, but to the body. We read also in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So the baptism in the Spirit happened to each of us when we believed, but God did it so that we might belong to his body. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. And I've heard so many messages given to individuals that we in our lives should not put out the fire of the Spirit in our bodies or in our souls or in our lives. But in reality, again, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19, he's talking about the Lord's Supper and what we're doing at the Lord's Supper. And one of the things that's being done is that people are getting up and they're speaking like we do here on a Sunday morning for those that don't regularly come, and I'd suggest that you do. I'd like to encourage you to come. Where people get up and they speak, and Paul says, 
We can't stop them from speaking. Let them speak. Do not quench the spirit. But then let's discern what is being said and accept what is good and refrain from what is bad. But this verse, do not quench the spirit, is not given to an individual. It is given to a body. It is given to the church. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians 4.13. Again, we've heard it said so many times that we, if we sin, we are grieving the Holy Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit will not have the, 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 the power to work within our lives. But this verse here in chapter 4 of, of Ephesians, again, is talking to the brethren. He's talking to the body. And he is saying, he is saying that when we do not take care one with another or when we are acting wrongly one to another, we are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. So to quench the Spirit is something about the body. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Again, it's something about the body. And there's one other. I don't know why I didn't put it. I probably forgot. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Do not be drunk with wine, but... Be full of the Spirit. Again, that's not said to an individual. That is said to a body. Again, when the body is meeting, because Ephesians 5 in, these cha- in those verses, again, I believe it is talking about the breaking of bread, it's talking about the meeting of the church. And what Paul is saying is, as we are gathering as a body, what God wishes us to do is to be full of the Spirit. Now, is it possible that a person be full of the Spirit? Absolutely. We see it in Jesus' life. We see it in Peter's life. We see it in Stephen's life. We see it in other people's lives, in the Gospels and in Acts of the Apostles. It is God doing that of his own free will to accomplish the work that he wants. But I do not find anywhere in Scripture where it asks the individual to be full of the Spirit. But it does ask the body to be full of the Spirit. And as I come together on a Sunday morning, I'm saying to myself, well, Lord, this is the meeting that you gave us. This is the meeting where you are preparing us as a body to go out into the world, to live reflecting the glory of God in the face of Christ. Father in heaven, when we get together, let's not quench what the Spirit is doing. Let's not, if I have something against my brother or sister, or she has something, or he has something against me, let's take care of it. That day, men. That day, even that day. And if really we want to have something that God wants to give us, let's really search to be full of the Spirit as a body so that God can do everything that he wants to do. You get up on a Sunday morning, we go to the breaking of bread, Today it was a little bit early because of the circumstances. But how do we come to the breaking of bread? Do we come to the breaking of bread realizing that we are worshiping our Lord and our Savior, but even more, that the Spirit is here with us, wanting to teach us, wanting to help us love one another, wanting us to be full of the Spirit so that we might praise, that we might love, that we might learn, that we might serve. But is there an individual responsibility to walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit? Yeah, there is. Like Daniel told us last week in verse 13, it says, we have been called 
to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the test, but through love serve one another. I give three ideas that are found in this verse. First of all, freedom is not to do what we want, but freedom is to do what we should. The arrière plan, the background, to what Paul is saying here is the background that every Jewish believer knew since childhood. It is the background of God delivering the Israelites out of Egypt and bringing them to the promised land. God freed them. He took them from under the authority of Pharaoh and the slavery that they were in and he took them and he bought them. But from that moment on, they were not Pharaoh's. But they were gods. And the idea here, and through the word serve, there's several Greek words for service in the New Testament. But the word that's used here is the word, maybe some of us understand Greek, doulos. And doulos means being a slave. And so through love, we must be slaves one to another. Yes, we have been freed, not to do what we want, but to do what God wants us to do. But we are not free just to be happy with ourselves. We are free to be able to serve, to be slaves one to another. Now we are God's slaves to obey him. But also, it says that the individual who belonged to Christ has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And the idea behind this verse is that when we believed in Jesus for the first time and were baptized, God brought us into the family of God and he made us one with Jesus. Everything that's true about Jesus is true for me, the believer. And so as Jesus died once for all, God asks me as a believer to say one day, Lord, Lord, I believe in you, but not only do I believe in you, I want to follow you. And that's one of the reasons why belief and baptism in the New Testament are never separated one from another. A person that believes is a person that serves. A person that believes is a person that says, now I am going to obey God for the rest of my life. It's done once and for all. But then Jesus says that what we have to do is we have to take up our cross when? Daily. And follow him. And so what God has asked us to do as members of the community, he has asked us to come to him, to believe in him, to be baptized, and to say once for all, This day, I am going to follow Jesus. Personally, maybe I'll get heck for this, but personally, I don't believe that it's a question of believing in Jesus as our Savior and not believing in him as our Lord. Many people will say, okay, well, I believed in Jesus as my Savior, and when when I understand everything, I'm going to follow Jesus as my Lord. I'm sorry, that doesn't work. Same thing could be said for marriage. My wife's name is Lulu. Lou, I want to marry you. Very good. See you in 10 years. That's not the goal. The goal is that I would learn to be a good husband from the day that I take that first commitment 
until the day that the Lord calls us or the Lord calls her or calls me. So the idea of an individual, what God wants is that each of us would take a decision to look up and say, okay, Lord Jesus, I understand what you did. I understand that now you have been, since you've been raised from the dead, you're at the right hand of God the Father, and so you are the Lord of all the world. And so, Father, I believe in you. I believe in you, not just to receive what you gave me, but I believe in you so as to glorify you in everything that I do. I'd like to talk about faith because faith and the Spirit and faith in Galatians is very important. And it's very important for the individual too. What does it mean, faith? I've taken three verses here from Galatians where we have three different ideas behind the word faith. In English, we have a problem again. And the problem is, wherever we see this word in Greek, which is called pistis, wherever we see this word in Greek, we always translate it faith. But in reality, for those that studied the first century cultural and contextual um, situations, we know that faith, the word faith, was used in many different ways in the first century. So if I say, I believe, well, what am I saying? What am I saying? Well, there's three ways. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 23, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us now is preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And we say to ourselves, well, what is that faith? Is it something I believe inside my heart? No. It's the content of what I believe. So when I say I have faith, or my faith is the content of what I personally believe. And the content of faith, according to Galatians, is only one. It's who? Jesus Christ himself. He is the content of our faith. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Here what we're saying about faith, it is as the character by which we believe. It is a trust. One of the, we had a little brochure, pamphlet that we would give to people when we were preaching here in Quebec in French, and it was called Blonde. Has anybody heard about that? Blondin is a story of a man that was crossing Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And so he goes across and he comes back and everybody's clapping because it was unbelievable what he did. And he said to the people that were there, do you believe that I can walk on this tightrope across Niagara Falls again? And everybody says, of course, we just saw you do it. And there was a little boy that was in the crowd and he says son do you believe I can do it and the little boy says well sure I just saw you do it he says okay get on my shoulders do you see the difference between believe and trust God asks us not just to believe here to know what he asks us to do is trust 
How many people have I spoken to when I have said to them, do you believe in Jesus? And they'll say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He died on the cross. I'm a Catholic or I'm a Protestant or a Baptist or I don't know. I believe, sure, I know that it happened. Oh, yeah? What do you think Jesus does for you? Oh, I don't know. Well, Jesus died on the cross so that we can trust him, that everything he did, he did for us, and we can have full confidence in it. Do you believe this morning? Do you have trust in what Jesus did? Do you have trust in Jesus today? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. The third idea of faith is faith as a commitment. It's to be faithful, loyal, faithfulness. And so if I say I have faith, I trust in Jesus, but also my faith says I will be faithful to Jesus. Faithfulness to Jesus is a part of faith. Vices of the flesh. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. We read them before. If we look at this list, of, I think there's 15 or 16 different things. I have divided them into four different areas. When we're talking about sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality, we're talking about doing something that will fulfill my personal desires. Using the gift that God has given us of sexuality, not to be able to give to the other, but always using it for myself. The idea of idolatry and sorcery is to want to manipulate my situation. People had idols in their homes and idols on the street. And what were they doing? They were trying to do everything that idol asked of them so that they might manipulate that idol to do what they wanted for themselves. Sorcery, from which we get our, our word pharmacy, uh, pharmaceutical, and it's the idea that in the first century, what people would do, they'd have all kinds of potions and, and, and incantations and all, all this stuff where what they were trying to do, they were trying to do different things so that they could make the gods do what they wanted. In the Old Testament, sorcery is mentioned and so is astrology. What is astrology? Except to know and to be able to manipulate what is going to happen to me? It's a work of the flesh. The other ones, the jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries and all that, in which Paul takes most time, it's talking about wanting to win my rights. I am the one in the right, and so I will make sure, through what is said here, that I get what I want. It's to win my rights. And the last, the end, uh, the drunkenness and the orgies, it's wanting to be without any restraint. Do what I want. And I have fun doing it. Virtues of the Spirit. 
Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit. And it's an ensemble. It's a, it's a, what would be the word in English for an ensemble? It's a, beg your pardon? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an everything. And the idea why he uses fruit is again because he's talking to the collective. The collective is to produce the fruit. It's not about desires or feelings. It's not about a, it's more about a question of obedience. When he's talking about these fruit of the nine fruits of the Spirit, he's not talking about something that comes to us from a cloud or from heaven, like money falling down uh, from a tree. It's not like that. What it is, is it's how we as individuals must walk according to the model of Christ in his death and his resurrection that we might be concentrated on the other instead of myself. And so how do I practice the fruit of the Spirit? I share love, not hate. I share joy, not sadness. I share peace, not war. I share patience, not impatience. I share kindness, not hurt. I share goodness, not badness. I don't even know if that exists in English, but anyway, you get my idea. I share faithfulness and not disloyalty. I share gentleness and not roughness. I share self-control, not self-indulgence. So the fruit of the Spirit is not something magical. The fruit of the Spirit is the responsibility of the body and each of the members within the body to practice what we see here. It's a question of obedience. And so what Paul wants us to do, what Paul wants the Galatians to do, instead of being at each other's throats, he wants them to practice what we see here. You know what, I, I, as Dave was sharing this morning about Ukraine, my heart was, my heart was, it was, it was touched. I was sad. Because of everything that is happening and the suffering that we see. But I sincerely believe that those that stay there, because God has asked them to stay there, especially the believers, that the believers in the, the way that they act one to another can be an example to even the greatest of man's evils. As Christians, when we're dealing with people that are not necessarily of the same opinion as I, how am I acting toward those people? Am I hating or loving? Am I wanting them to find joy or hate? I'm wanting them to have peace or I want to have an argument. So what? <clears throat> I put out five questions here. Six, five. How important is the church to me? It's important to God. Because within the church, we learn one from another how God wants us to act according to the fruit of the Spirit. We need one another, and the world needs us. How important is the church to you? And I'm going to say, how important is the breaking of bread to you? According to what I see in the Bible, it is the meeting of the church.
We can't say biblically that being here now, we're at church. It just doesn't work biblically. But at the breaking of bread, we are doing church. In fact, the expression is used in 1 Corinthians 11. We are churching to church. And what are we doing? We're breaking bread. That meeting is ultra important according to the New Testament. What is the goal of my Christian life? Is it to get everything that I can possibly get for myself? Or is it to become more like Christ? What is my desire as a Christian? How do I manifest my faith? Do I just say, oh, I know that that's true? Do I say, well, I'm trusting? Or am I saying, I'm going to be faithful? How important is my baptism? Some people have said, one person that I know that's close to me has said, well, I accepted the Lord, or I told people I accepted the Lord, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago. But you know what? I didn't really accept him as my Lord. I, 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 I didn't really know what I was doing. And I said to the person, listen, one of the reasons that we get baptized is we learn right off the bat that what we have to do as a Christian is to obey. And then that, that obedience is sharpened by God just until that time that we meet him. We're never perfect. But there's no reason not to get baptized. Only one. I don't want to obey. Think about that. How do I look for opportunities to display the fruit of the Spirit? Among us? With my wife? With my husband? With my children? With my parents? With my neighbors? With those whom I work? With those who I go to school? How can I manifest the fruits of the Spirit. What Paul is teaching us here in Galatians is that we can look to Jesus and because of Jesus, if we decide to obey according to the fruit of the Spirit, He will give us the power to accomplish. He gives us the power, the will, and the volonté, the desire, the want to do and also to do when we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He gives us what we need. All we have to do is step out and trust him and obey. Be faithful to him and let God produce